Discussion over dinner. This is our home. I came to listen to you, to talk with you. Discussion over dinner is sponsored and underwritten by State Street Community Church and the Pack Center. Hello, everyone. Welcome to November's edition of Discussion Over Dinner. You're going to find that this episode is a little bit different than our norm. We did not have a live audience for this episode. We uh, recorded it just a small group of people talking about an issue. And then we also did not have a full dinner. So uh, we did have a discussion, but we only had dessert. And so we're calling this discussion over dessert. And why did we do this? Well, in November, December, obviously, the church and the PAC Center have a lot going on. We have Advent at Stage Street. And in November, we have all kinds of different events, and one of them being a large dinner. This is our pre-Thanksgiving meal that is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And we invite the whole community, all of LaPorte County, to come. We usually have 300 to 450 people. And we just use this as a time to, to be grateful to be grateful for our community, to be grateful for our neighbors, and to be grateful for all the blessings we have as a community. And so I want to invite you to our Thanksgiving dinner. You're welcome to come and join us. Uh, it's free, 5 to 7 o'clock on the Wednesday before uh, Thanksgiving. And I know holidays can be kind of tough. And so don't be alone. Don't be afraid to come and join us. Meet other people. And I think you'll you'll have a great time. And then the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, November 27th, is our annual Giving Tuesday fundraising campaign. We really only do one large fundraising campaign a year and because uh, we're just kind of busy doing all these kind of other things. But it's essential that we have a great uh, result from this day because so much of our funds for the upcoming year come from a single day. And so November 27th, all day long, we're going to be collecting funds for Giving Tuesday. And you can go online to www.thepackcenter.com or www.thepackcenter.com backslash Giving Tuesday and look for more information. If you are a business and you'd like to be a part of this, we'd love to talk to you about it before then. Uh, we have different sponsorship levels for the coming year. Um, but it helps us continue the great programs that we have. We're seeing wonderful results in food insecurity issues and, and the poverty of loneliness through our, our initiatives like the food pantry, the community meals, the clothes closet, uh, the food rescue program we have going on, the Jackson Street Community Garden, the Brighton Street Green Space, and of course, the discussion over dinner stuff we do. And so if you are a believer in what we do, all of the funds you donate on that Tuesday go towards the PAC Center, not to the church. I encourage you to donate online or drop by uh, and, and drop a donation off that day and help us continue doing what we do to help keep Laporte loved well and fed well. 
Without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation on uh, homelessness and hunger with Jason Clemens, Lisa Pierzakowski, and Ed Seal. It's a wonderful conversation. I encourage you to look up their organizations, maybe send them a note of encouragement and uh, appreciation for all that they're doing. And let's come together and solve these issues that we can as a community be a part of bringing justice and restoration to. So thanks so much for listening and watching and enjoy this episode. Welcome to uh, the November version of Discussion Over Dinner, which we are calling Discussion Over Dessert. And today we have a flourless chocolate cake made by our chef and baker and all-around nice guy, Joel Crane. And we're going to be eating this in front of all of you that are watching um, because it's 10 o'clock in the morning and I haven't had anything to eat and there's nothing better than flourless chocolate cake. Now, joining me today, we're going to have a conversation about hunger and homelessness in LaPorte County. Uh, talking about what we see, uh, what these uh, leaders here see, the organizations that they lead, what they do, how we can have a more holistic approach to solving some of these problems, but also how, how we can learn about them instead of just formulating ideas and opinions without having uh, the requisite education or requisite knowledge to actually form those uh, beliefs. So I want to welcome our panel today. Uh, joining us uh, to my side here. He's currently the coordinator for the PATH program, as well as the coordinator for the home team of LaPorte County. He began his career at the Swanson Center in 2009, shortly after graduating from Purdue North Central. He worked as an assertive community treatment case manager for five years before becoming the project for the assistance in the transition from homelessness, which is PATH, case manager in 2014. He serves on the Homeward, Bo uh, Homeward Bound board of directors and is currently the board chair for the Moraine House. I'm glad to have Ed Seal with us today. Welcome, Ed. Uh, to uh, cross the table from me, he's currently employed by State Street Community Church. I heard that's a great place. As the program manager of the PAC Center in downtown LaPorte, he has over 25 years of experience in marketing, management, banking, fundraising, and event planning. In his roles at the PAC Center, he manages a food pantry and weekly community meals and helps program the Jackson Street Community Garden and Brighton Street Green Space. He's a graduate of Leadership LaPorte County, where he was awarded the Robert J. Heiler Award for his service to the community. I'm glad to have my friend and co-worker and co-laborer, Jason Clemens, here with us. Yeah. Yeah, you're welcome, Jason. Thank you for speaking. She has been the Center Township Trustee for LaPorte County since January 1st, 2015, and recently won re-election. Congratulations. Thank She's you. been instrumental in securing GED classes, coordinating a monthly budget class, and hosting a healthy eating program for clients called Crock-Pot Friday. She was named the 2018 Trustee of the Year by the Indiana Township Association. She was also given the Circle of Corydon Award on behalf of Governor Eric Holcomb for being an exemplary citizen in the state of Indiana. I'm glad to have uh, my trustee, the Senator Township trustee, Lisa, Lisa Pierzakowski, with us today. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Um, I am so glad that you guys are here. Um, go ahead and eat if you want. Uh, we'll let everyone watch us, drink some coffee, have some water. We're going to talk about hunger and homelessness. Now, this is a conversation that the four of us have had many, many times. It's the work we do. It's, uh, 
it lives with us whether we're at work or at home it, it these are the topics that you know just kind of motivate and fuel us but i don't know if the community always knows what we do and i've been recently in a class from the healthcare foundation and one of the things that i was challenged by is we spend a lot of our time working on helping those who are struggling in the community and we tell our stories as best as we can but we're so consumed with, in a sense, kind of putting out the next fire that we don't always do the best job at educating the community at the problems. And, you know, because we're just all busy trying to help and assist. And um, so I'm glad that you guys are here with me today. I think it's going to be a great discussion over dinner or discussion over dessert. We don't have a live studio audience, so it's just going to be me grilling you guys with lots of questions. But uh, we're going to open up with this one. Thanksgiving's right around the corner. We have a, a Thanksgiving Eve meal, Wednesday night here at State Street, uh, that everyone's invited to. Um, but Jason Clemens, what do you do on Thanksgiving? What is your family tradition? So our, our family tradition has been becoming, or has become, uh, the Wednesday meal. Because um, it starts bright and early at 6 in the morning, start preparing everything for that meal. of serving About 400 uh, folks that come through the door. Um, and then I get to do nothing on Thanksgiving. I get to go to my mother-in-law's, who does a great job and just prepares the meal, and I, I just sit and enjoy my family and eat. Do you enjoy that, though? Because you, you typically, if there's cooking going on, you like to be in the center of it? Yeah, I always, and, and my wife will attest to this, I always have to stick my nose in the kitchen, no matter who's cooking, no matter what's going on, no matter whose house it is. Um, but that day, for some reason, I'm, I'm wiped out, and I just relax. Is there any... Um is there any, like, uh, standard foods that you guys have every year at your mother-in-law's house? Just the, the regular thing, but I always look forward. She does this chocolate eclair dessert thing that I always have to get my hands on. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, do you want to bring some to work on? I will. Okay. She always gives me some ice cream. Perfect. Lisa, any traditions for Thanksgiving? What do you plan on doing? Well, Thanksgiving actually has changed since I became trustee. We used to, on Thanksgiving, after we had dinner, we would go to Chicago or South Bend with backpacks and food and feed the homeless. Since I became trustee, it's not been happening because I'm doing that all the time anyways. <laughs> but um, we actually enjoy dinner with my in-laws. I don't have to cook, which makes it nice. Um, I don't stick my nose in the kitchen. I make my food that I take, but she's famous for her pierogies, so we, we enjoy those. And then since I became trustee, we do the Black Friday shopping at Walmart on Thursday night, and we pick up 30 to 50 Crock-Pots for our Crock-Pot Friday. That's how you stock up on your So that is right? how my tradition has changed now. So if you're listening and you want to help uh, the Center Township trustee out and you see a Crock-Pot for sale out and about on Black Friday at Walmart in Michigan City or wherever, and you want to donate that, you can donate that to the Center Township trustees. And Love that idea. And they'd be glad to have it, I'm sure, right? And the one thing that's been really nice, um, we had an issue one year at Walmart. The employees got a little upset that we were loading up all these crockpots. And I was explaining to people while we were standing there what we do with them. And they were literally just putting them in my cart. They're like, she can have mine. She's, she's not taking them for herself. They're for the community. So now that we've made it more obvious to the employees, hopefully they'll be a little more generous and not be yelling at us. Yes, please, please, so. uh, Walmart, please be generous with that. Um, I do have a question for the two of you before we get to Ed. Do you prefer 
homemade cranberry sauce or do you want cranberry sauce in the can that still looks at the shape of the can? I want the shape of the can. Yeah, me too. What about you, Lisa? Homemade all the way. Okay. Yeah. Are we on here, Eddie? Uh, hold on. Is he on? I can't hear him. I I want okay. I want it to be the shape of the can. Okay. Um, I am with you, Lisa. You are outvoted. I want the shape of the can as well. So. But they're icky and not good and not good for you. That's all. Yeah, uh, all of those things. Well, not icky or not good. Not good for you. Very true. Um, but it's a tradition. <laughs> you get a free pass on Thanksgiving. Yeah, I agree. Ed, what are you going to do on Thanksgiving? What's your tradition? I have a standard tradition. We mix it up every year, but this year I'm double dipping. We're going to my parents' house in Buffalo, and then we're going to have dinner uh, with my wife's family. Hey, uh, okay. Can we get him a new battery? Do we have another mic that he can use? I can share mine. Thank you. Perfect. All right. They can share a mic. That's fine. Sorry, everyone. Um, so we're going to be talking about all of these kind of fun hunger and homelessness issues because it's, it's the right season to talk about them. It's, it's just really important to, um, as we work into the winter months, um, and we will be obviously hearing more from those who are homeless because in the summer times uh, that we we often see them find places to stay if it's not outside. Wintertime, it gets a little harder. Um, we're also going to talk about hunger because it's Thanksgiving. All of us are going to be eating well, most of us anyway. And uh, I, I think it's a great time to talk about um, that that's not everyone in the community. Now, um, we, we do have a food insecurity issue. It's one of the issues that the PAC Center is really trying to combat and deal with. We do have a homelessness issue. It's one of the things that I know home team and center township trustee, you're, Lisa, you're kind of involved with everything. Um, and, and, and it's something we as a community, it's a, it's a solvable problem. It's something that we can do something about. We just need to do more than we're doing. I agree. I feel that there should be nobody hungry in LaPorte County. We have a food pantry every day of the week, except for Sunday. So there's absolutely no reason for people to be hungry. If somebody's saying they're hungry, then they're not getting to one of our um, food pantries. Just like with the dinner. You guys are having a dinner. We have a dinner this Saturday at um, First Church of God. So they could be having a dinner Saturday. They could be having a dinner Wednesday. And there's also a turkey giveaway um, in, where, Michigan, where's, where's in Michigan that? City on Friday uh, this coming, at the mall, at, okay. at the old, well, Do you guys the closed down mall. It's from 10 to noon, I believe. Okay, first Marquette, come, first serve, Marquette, Marquette mall, mall. 10 to noon. If you need a turkey, show up there. Exactly. And then my office, we're doing 10 food baskets. I don't know how many you guys are doing. I don't know how many some of the other churches are doing. Mm-hmm. But there's, you know, there's really no reason for anybody to be hungry in LaPorte County. We're going to talk uh, first about hunger, and then we're going to get into homelessness and, and kind of block it off like that. Um, anybody can answer these questions. This isn't, you know, if, if nobody does, I'll call on you to answer. Um, we'll start with this question. Um, why are people hungry in Laporte? 
Like what, what is the cause of food insecurity issues in Laporte? Is it a lack of jobs? Is it a lack of sufficient wages? What, what are you seeing as, is it elderly? Is it, is it just more complicated than one thing? What do you guys think? I, I think it's all of those things, uh, really. Um, starting with the elderly, um, the average check, I would say, is between seven and $800 a month for a, a retired person uh, that is only receiving Social Security. And so by the time they pay rent and electricity, that leaves $100 for the month. And so that, that aspect is a, a big issue. Um, and, and I think you have even, let's say, a family of five, uh, both adults are working um, a minimum wage job or just $10 an hour. You're still going to have food insecurity uh, by the time you pay all of your bills. So it's, it's a variety of different things, wouldn't you say? Yes, but I'm going to go one step further. Um, working with clients more and more on budgeting in my office, I feel that food stamps aren't used to the best of their ability. And what I basically do when I'm doing a, a budget with them, I explain to them, you can go to the PAC Center one week for food, the Center Township Trustees Office one week for food, the Salvation Army, St. Vincent de Paul, you can go every Monday. So there's your food pantry for the week. But you're getting food stamps. If you're not getting food stamps, we'll sign you up for food stamps. Use your food stamps for your meat and your dairy products. Use your pantries for your other staple items. And I feel that that is something that they didn't realize before. Another thing is when I'm looking at their bank statements and I see them going to Wendy's or McDonald's or Pizza Hut or stuff like that and spending $20, when I'm doing a Crock-Pot Friday class, teaching them how to cook a meal for $5 and under, I'm like, you just spent $20 for one meal when that actually could have been four meals. So I think part of it is working with them, teaching them how to manage their money, how to manage their budget, and how to use the food pantries. Because I think that's one of the other issues is they're not understanding what to use the food pantries for. So... Are you allowed to go to more than one food pantry a month? Is there anything that limits your um, access to food pantries? Or can they go to the PAC Center one month or one week in the Center Township Trustee one week? Or, you know, what, what does that look like? Is, is that allowed? Absolutely. There's no limitations to that. How much food does the PAC Center give out per person? Like how much? If somebody comes in, how long will that food last them? Typically just a week. Um, a family of four will, will receive uh, a gallon of milk, uh, eggs, butter, bologna, cheese, canned goods, box goods, and fresh produce. Um, and if that gets them through seven days, I would, I would be surprised. I agree. The food pantry is not seven days worth of food usually. Um, but there again, like I said, it's, it's to supplement with their food stamps. It's not just the pantry, just eating off the pantry food. It's to work with the food stamps. It's, it's, it's an accessible um, extra type thing. I know that the trustees usually, um, they tell us if they're getting food stamps, they shouldn't be using our food pantry. And I've always argued with that because the food stamps is not enough normally. Now, if they're receiving 800 or $1,000 a month in food stamps, should they be using the pantries? I wouldn't think so because I can live on $100 a week groceries for my family, I would think somebody else would be also. Um, can we get Jason a new mic? His mic is fading out. I had texted you that. Uh, uh, it, it just keeps on fading in and out. So it might be. Yeah. Um, 
I just don't want people not to be able to hear. Um, so the United Way put out an Alice report, um, and it's kind of been the talk about nonprofits in the community. I was in a meeting and they were talking about this and they said, uh, in their report that 55% of the city of Laporte households struggle to meet basic needs. What are your thoughts on that? Ed, you got any thoughts on that? Do you know what Alice stands for? It's asset limited uh, income yeah. constrained employed. Thank you. So we're we're really talking about the working poor with the Alice report, and um, I for, I haven't uh, I don't recall what the latest number is because they just re released the report. Yeah, it was in the paper. It was fifty five percent of the city of Laporte. Um, now th- that was city of Laporte, not Laporte County. So. Yeah, but what's the income level that they set this this time for a family of four? I honestly don't think it was in the in the uh, Herald Argus report. Um, that statistic was that it was fifty five percent, but they didn't have a link to the actual study. So okay, and I'm sh- I'm shooting from the hip. Yep, no, guessing, that's fine. But I, I want to say it was like eleven something an hour um, that they need to make for a family of four in order to uh, sustain and meet all of their basic needs. And I think we're seeing a lot of the the part time jobs and the the employees that just aren't making that, and they're not able to cover the ends meet with the. And to be sure, the uh, I think anyway, if it's if it's tied to the Ball State research, I forget what it is. The uh, um, the um, uh, essentially sustainability index. Um, it's eleven dollars per per adult in the family if a family of four, right? Correct. Not just yes. eleven dollars one person. So essentially, if it's one adult working, it needs to be like twenty dollars. Two something. adults working full time at eleven needs to make eleven dollars to meet basic uh, needs. Yeah, and the the USDA standard for someone that can receive a food from a food pantry that's receiving commodities, a family of four is forty six thousand three hundred eighty five dollars, um, and still qualify to to go to a food pantry. That's why most of our people qualify. I don't think we even check income. I don't know about you guys anymore. I think we don't we even have, check the income because uh, we, I mean, there's no way to. I think it's an honor system, right? right? Basically, I mean, yes. right. Um. So yeah. So. So do you think though? Do Do you think though that this issue is getting better or getting worse? Hunger in Laporte. Is it? Are we? Are are the needs being met, or are they being exasperated? Well, I'd like to say that it's better, but I will tell you my numbers are up at my food pantry. I don't know about you, but our numbers seem to be up, which to me doesn't make a lot of sense because there are jobs in Laporte and people are working. I mean, we're we're getting our clients back to work. But I don't know if part of it is because we have government commodities and we're getting people outside of Laporte coming in. Maybe that could be part of what it is. Um, but I feel like 55% seems high to me. I, I understand there's something going on. And there's you know people that are hungry, but 55 to me sounds a little high. Yeah, and again, that, that's not just hunger. I think there's some other things in there, Ed, right? I mean, other than just hunger, it's just essentially meeting your basic Yeah, meeting, need. meeting basic needs after the bills are paid. Um, that fifty five percent are struggling. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think essentially living paycheck to paycheck, right? I mean, yeah. um, 
And so, and, and that, again, it's hard to say, uh, statistics are statistics and, you know, you, you, you don't know. I do know in our experience, there are many people that are, I think many Americans as a whole are one paycheck away, you know, from, from disaster. And we see this now, I, I, we just, we have a, I don't know what food pantry managing software you use these, but, um, we have a food pantry manager.com. I think it's, a, but yep. Uh, so we just did our annual um, statistics, and Jason sends those to me, and uh, we had some, I thought, fascinating statistics in there. Talk about some of them that you sent to me that I, we talked about as some of the more fascinating ones about who comes, how often they come, these kind of things. Sure. Um, one really interesting fact that really kind of set us back that we didn't realize is only 3% of everyone that comes to the food pantry um, comes 10 times or more. So there's that stigma that the same people come every week mm-hmm. and are not trying to take that next step towards um, uh, getting things better. Um, but this shows that's just not true. Uh, 3%, 10 times or less, 10, time 10, 10 times or more uh, a year. And then um, we find that uh, the majorities of that number then is seniors as well. Um, another statistic i'm just uh the, on the one that i th- i was really kind of taken back by I, I didn't realize this but it was uh 68 of our food pantry clients come three times or less a year yeah. so they can come once a once a month according to the usda but um like essentially we're allowed to feed them once a month according to the usda restrictions um and uh most of our clients only use our food pantry for emergencies and come three times or less a year, 68% of them. And I was kind of taken back by that. I right. didn't, I, I, I think we knew that that impulse was there. We didn't, we didn't have the data to back that up, but that was kind of a, I think an interesting statistic. And another one that kind of shows how transient Laporte can be as well over the last uh, three to four years, our numbers have kind of leveled off We're we're actually going down just a little bit, but I think that's a lot of, uh, the past four years, it's been the services you're you're helping providers as well, um, but we average 800 new families each and every year those past few years, um, and so it's people moving in or life circumstances happening, um, but that seems like a huge number to me as well. Eight eight hundred families new that have never been to our food pantry before each year. We have how many how many files do you have for clients in the since county? we've opened we've we're, it's probably around 6,000 files in our, our eight, nine years of doing this. Um, uh, that's family units. That have visited us. That have visited, visited us at least, at least once. once. Yep. Uh, and, and I will say this. Our numbers did go down because of Lisa. Um, because we have more collaboration. And, uh, you know, when we started doing our food pantry here in 2010, um, it, the Center Township Trustee wasn't feeding as many. It wasn't doing. So you get, you having the collaboration has been key because together we're able to do more, you know? Um, so it's been, and that's one of the things that was great when I opened up the food pantry resource center and I called each of the agencies to see when their pantries were, I wanted to make sure we weren't doing them on the same day. Mm -hmm. Um, of course we do have a little bit of over overlap there, but I wanted to make sure that we had a pantry every day. And I think that's what's helped us quite a bit is having the pantry every day, open every one of them being open every day so people and and it's funny you say that because the girls and I were just discussing about 
the people that are coming in. And they're not coming in every month. They're coming in every other month or once a quarter even. But I think our numbers we were at, I think we're a little over 5,000 is what we have seen in the last four years. Wow. Wow. Lisa, what, so if somebody needs, if they're in the Center Township trustee area and they need food, obviously they can come to CIS, but let's say they want to come to their trustee, what does that process look like? They basically walk in the door with an ID. If they are in Center Township, they receive food from the complete pantry. If they're not from Center Township, they receive government commodity foods only. They sign this sheet just like they do for Jason. Um, we don't have a software program. Mm -hmm. We use Excel. Um, they sign the sheet that for the food bank, and that is basically it. So you do, you do. I didn't know this. You do help whoever comes in that's not in Center Township trustees or in your in your trustee district. But they just don't get... They don't get the complete food because yeah. some of the food is purchased by the township. Some of it's through donations that can go with government commodities. But we don't deny anybody food. As a matter of fact, what we'll do is we'll give them the government commodity foods and we'll say, this is your township trustee. You need to contact them and they will help you get food. And then we also give them the list of the pantries that are around. Does every state trustee, like does every community trustee have a food pantry then? No. They do not all have a food pantry, but they are required by law. If somebody does not have food, they're required by law to go buy the food for them. Really? Okay. Correct. So let's talk a little bit about trustees while we're on this topic. Um, because I know there's, there's always debate about, you know, what do trustees do? What do, you know, uh, and you, 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 I will say, have shattered a lot of people's, you know, beliefs in this because you've been a very active trustee and I think has really... Um, demonstrated the importance of an active trustee as a governmental agency in a community that, that you guys, that, that can be the potential for trustees in the community. Well, the job of the trustee is to help those in need. We are the front when somebody's in need, they come to us first. So if we're not doing our job, then we're not, we shouldn't be getting paid for doing our job. So if we're not going to help them, then why are there a trustee? You know, why, why have that job if they're not helping them? So I've gone, like you said, I've gone a couple extra steps forward, and I'm not just given a handout for number one. We're finding what is going on in their life and helping them move forward, not just a handout as a hand up. And I will say the best part of my job is working with all the agencies like the PAC Center and State Street Church and St. Vincent de Paul and Salvation Army, working together to help the individuals. It's not just somebody comes and they need a gas card. We're not just giving them a gas card. We're finding out, well, why is it you need a gas card? What is going on? Now, if it's for a cancer patient or something like that, of course, we're going to automatically give them a gas card, but we're also going to set them up with other agencies to help them. Plus, we're going to say, okay, you're needing gas. What else is going on? Are you needing help with rides? Maybe because you're not able to go back and forth by yourself. Are you needing help with your rent or your NIP score or something like that? So we're always asking the, the tough questions. People don't like answering the tough questions, but we ask the tough questions to help them get back on their feet. One of the things that you do that we can't do that we've been really appreciative is you can do case management and we're not, there are some legal things that we can't get into. You can ask more questions and we can essentially. And that's um, the one thing that, that I love about working with Jason yep. because he'll, he'll call me and say, I'm sending somebody down yep. or somebody will come down before he's able to pick up the phone and, you know, we'll work with them, find out what's really going on. And then I'll call and say, okay, Jason, 
this is what's really going on. Yep. Do you want to help or do you not want to help? Yep. So, but we, I think we work very well together and it's great to it's be able to have somebody. Us, I know. Yep. Well, it's great to have somebody help out. So if somebody comes in with a $500 NIPSCO bill, we can't pay that entire bill. If we paid that for everybody, we'd be broke. Mm -hmm. So it's great to work with the other agencies and I don't mind doing the research to help out. And there again, again, it's case management. So we're able to get down to the nitty gritty and find out what's going on so that we are actually helping them, not just enabling them. And because of our USDA uh, agreements and things like that, we can only ask so much information. Is that right, Jason? Name, address, and how many is in the household. Yeah. That's and right. can't verify, right? I mean, that, that's one verify. of the hard things is, right. um, and being a governmental agency, you have a little more freedoms to, like you said, dig in there a little well, more? Well, we used to. Because we now get the government commodity foods, we are not able to do a full application with them okay. also. But we ask, are they in center? You know, we mm -hmm. look at the address. Yep. Okay, you're not in center township, so stuff like that. It used to be that we had them do a short application so that we could find out what was going on. And it might be they came to the food pantry and they would look and say, this is a budgeting issue. They need to go next door and talk to Lisa. So a little bit of that is out of my hands now to some extent. I know Melissa and Ed are over there working on Friday so they can see what's going on and work with some of those people. My girls will tell me if we've got somebody coming every month, they'll say, hey, this person's coming every month. I think we need to look and see what's going on. And then I'll make sure that I'm pulling them aside and find out what's really going on. Yeah. Um, we've been using some things, USDA, commodities. What are commodities, Jason? Uh, they're subsidized government food uh, that comes in by the pallet load. So it's very, very helpful. Um, the government will work with different farmers that there's an excess of certain foods. Um, and then that comes to us at no charge. Yeah. So it's in the big ag bills that the government does. It's part of that, that the government buys food from big food suppliers, right? Kellogg's, these kind of things, and then sends it through Feeding America down to the food banks, which ours is over in South Bend. There is one in Gary, but that's not for some reason, I don't know why, but it's not ours in Lillport County. I think it is in Michigan City, isn't it? Yep. Uh, so it divides the county up. And then they put it out to the, um, the food pantries that apply for it. Is it based on how many people you serve? Or right. It? It's based on the number of monthly people you serve. Okay. Um, Lisa, how does a trustee get funded? Like, where is it state funds? Is it local funds? Is it federal funds? It's all funds? local tax dollars. Okay. And then we also are asking for donations quite a bit to help out with some of the things that we cannot help people out with, like gas cards. We cannot do gas cards through the, the trustee's office. So that is done through donations through the community. Because you also, um, um, un under the umbrella, you also have a fire department, right? You have these other things too, Yes, right? we have a volunteer fire department also. So, you know, the funding from the county is for the township, so we have the township, which is my office, and then we have the township assistance, which just helps the people that come in, and then I have the fire department. So I have, and then I have CUME funds, so I basically have four or five different budgets. Okay. All right. So it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot of, uh, it's a big stew to throw stuff into, so. It's a lot of making it work. Okay. And so far we've, you know, been able to make it work, and like I said, gracious community that we have. Um, we put out an SOS on Facebook. I love Facebook for helping out the pantry and stuff, you know, or I'll call an agency and say, hey, we're low on something. So it's, it's again, collaboration by everybody. It's great.
Ed, let's uh, get into some talk. Let's let's include you. You've been eating your your <laughs> cake like a, a a good man. Um, let's talk a little bit about homelessness. How many people are homeless in Laporte County? So the 2018 point in time count, which is every January um, across the United States, HUD conducts this point in time count where you try to identify people who are literal homeless. Um, how, how do you identify them? Uh, either through registration with the emergency shelters or um, going out in the streets and finding them and doing a survey. Because every January, I know. You walk the streets, don't you? Yeah, and, you know, Lisa was walking the streets with me last year. It was cold. It, it's January. Last year it was January 24th. This year it's January 23rd. And, and do you find people that are homeless when you walk the streets every year? Unfortunately, we do. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't find as many this uh, last January because it was so cold. I think most people found somewhere warm to... Couch, uh, yeah. Yeah, car, somewhere or, to yeah. get in. Um, but you know, the shelter numbers were higher because people are coming into the shelters. So, you know, we had that, you know, we covered, um, the numbers. We, I think we increased by, it was like 8% over the year before. Um, we had four people canvassing, uh, Laporte and four people canvassing, uh, Michigan city. Uh, what we started at 4am and on the 23rd and we, Melissa and I ended right around nine ten o'clock. So you, you get one day to count. That, that's the system. You get one day, and for as many people as you can count, you add that to the number that is registered through our emergency shelter system. Yeah. And that's how we figure it out. Yes. <laughs> and and it, 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 it seems radically efficient. The, the <laughs> continuum of care does count all of the people that we have enrolled in Swan Center Path, uh, Keys to Hope um, has HMIS uh, through, that they use. So it, it goes through and it identifies those that are registered as, as literal homeless and active enrollments in our, in our system at that time. Um, but last year we had 74 individuals out of 52 households that were identified homeless on that night. 74 in the county. Mm-hmm. Do you think the number's higher than that? We always think it's a little higher than that um, because you can't find everybody. You know, there are some people who, and most nights they're out in the streets, but when it gets bitterly cold in January, they find somewhere to, to go. Um, the count also doesn't take into, into anybody that's on a couch, you know, HUD defines that as imminent risk of homelessness, um, and they're not counted um, by the HUD definition. But we all working with homelessness know, you know, if they're if they're on somebody's couch, you know, they could be out in the street the next night. You know, that's not a safe so if place they to found be. a place to stay that night or that weekend or that week, then they're not counted. Correct. Even though they don't have permanent housing. <clears throat> Correct. OK. So just to give you a little bit of comparison yeah. um, path, uh, I, our fiscal year runs from September 1st to August 31st. So I looked at last year's uh, data. Um, we contacted 317 people uh, throughout the year. Now, that includes homeless, imminent risk. Um, some people may have been stably housed. We contacted them. Um, but we enrolled 87 people. 
And those are people that are homeless or imminent risk with serious mental illness in addition. Okay. So all of those people also not are only homeless, but they also have some form of mental illness as well. Correct. Okay. Um, and what's that number again? Uh, that was 87 okay. new enrollments okay. during that time period. Wow. Um, over, th- over that course of a year, at, w- at any point in that year, uh, we had a total of 145 people that were enrolled. And out of that, it was, it was 100 of them were literal homeless. And so you, when did you do that number again? Uh, so these numbers range, it's any, at any point from, uh, was sep- uh, September 1st, 2017 to August 31st of 2018. Okay. Um, where, where are those people now then? I mean, are they, do they find housing? Did they, I mean, well, is we, that what you guys work on or? We do. We, huh. we work on enrolling them into mental health treatment if they. You know, if they have the mental uh, illness, uh, we work on getting them housed. We work with Lisa a lot on mm-hmm. getting our people housed here in LaPorte. Um, we do the um, coordinated entry system, uh, you know, partnership with uh, Housing Opportunities, where we do the VSPID Addicts Vulnerability Index Service Prioritization Decision Assistance Tool. Uh, nonprofits, we, we love our acronyms, don't we? Yeah. Uh, so we'll call, we'll call it the V-Spadat. Yeah, it just rolls off the tongue. V-Spadat. Yeah. yeah. So we, um, when we meet somebody and they're in need of housing, um, we do this. It kind of assesses what their needs are and puts the people with the most needs highest on the list for the rapid rehousing or permanent supportive housing. Um, Melissa and I work with private landlords, you know, people that aren't going to, you know, get pulled from that list because our housing resources are limited. Um, so we have to work with private landlords, people that have income, you know, we work on doing the budgeting, finding somewhere that they can afford to live. Um, we've had somebody go to a nursing home because it was an appropriate placement for them to get them off the street. So, I mean, we're really looking at housing them in any way that we can to get them off the street. So this number wouldn't include, because I, I talked to someone a couple of weeks ago. Um, mom had kids living with a boyfriend. Boyfriend kicked the kids and the mom out. For instance, they're now homeless. They 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 were living there. They they can't live there anymore because the boyfriend won't let them. They have nowhere to go. That number wouldn't include them then. In this, I mean the the homeless number. You know, I mean if if they were kicked out. And they had nowhere to go. If we could, if we counted them, if we found them and counted them, they would certainly. But only on January or something, you know, I mean, it, it's to coordinate it. All I'm saying is I'm not sure if the method of our counting is the most accurate method we can come across. Because homelessness, as we all know, and I think most people even watching know, it, it can be seasonal, right? It can be seasonal. It can be emergency. It can be, you know. It's not just um, people in Chicago on Michigan living there every day. It's a, it's a mother of three kids that got kicked out of the house by a boyfriend who got mad and, you know, has no where to go now. Well, some of the people hide, too, because going out and searching the parks and searching other areas, Ed has trained us how to look for things and stuff like that. So some people actually hide they're afraid that with the law enforcement or something like that, or it might be they have something else going on that they don't want to be found. But interesting with the numbers, Ed and I were discussing this the other day in my office, and 
we keep track of the homelessness that come in our office by putting in a specific address. And when I pulled it up the other day, we still have 70, and this is just since I took office in 2015, we still have 70 people open as being homeless on our books. So whether they've been housed since then and not come back to us, you know, we're not sure. But we were at 185, I think, is what our numbers, I think it was 185 since 2015 that have come through our doors as homelessness. So that's a lot of people and and is, it, is there a demographic years. for that, Lisa? What do you see? Is there a connection there? Is it, you know, is it younger? Is it older? Is it, you know? It's, it's all over the place. There really is no rhyme or reason. It's all over the place. And a lot of it is affordable housing. Like Jason was saying, you know, you've got the elderly with an income of se- um, $750 Social Security, uh, SSI. SSI. So that's $750. If their rent is 500 and then you got to pay NIPSCO on top of that. And medical bills. And medical, you know, they can make it. Normally, when I'm budgeting with them, we can make it happen, but it's very tight. And a younger person is not going to be able to do that because they've got their phone bill, they got their car payment, they've got their car insurance, where some of the elderly don't have all that. So it's it's all over the place. It's it's not one particular age group. It's not one particular mom and child or um, boyfriend, girlfriend. It's, it's everywhere, everybody. And I think a lot of it is affordable housing. And we're having a very active conversation at the home team right now about what is affordable housing. Can you describe real quick, uh, just in case people watching don't know what the home team is, what is the home team? So the home team is the LaPorte County planning uh, body of the continuum of care Um Indiana has two continuum of cares. There's Marion County, and then there's the balance of state, which is the other 91 counties. <laughs> and, um, wait, wait, wait. What county is Indianapolis in? Uh, Marion County. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're in Region 1, which is uh, Porter County, LaPorte County, Jasper, Newton, and Stark. Um, and that's Region 1. And then within the... Uh, so we are the Laporte County. We break it down a little bit more than that. And it consists of over 30 um, organizations and representatives from government that meet monthly to work on the plan to end homelessness. And how long have you guys been meeting for? Uh, they began meeting um, in 2004. Um, they developed the plan to end homelessness in 2009. Um, 2015. Yeah, 2015, um, they hired the coordinator, which is myself. Uh, before, they just met monthly, and all the nonprofits and interested parties got together and discussed the plan and the objectives and um, kind of set their own individual goals to try and chip away at those. Um, in 2015, they were able to partner with Swanson Center because we got the PATH grant. Um, and it created a full-time case management position and a part-time coordinator position. So the home team was like, hey, we could partner with you and hire a full, uh, part-time uh, coordinator that would serve one one position and, and make it full-time. So, because so, you, you are uh, part-time with Swanson, uh, Swanson Center, do you see, is there a correlation between homelessness and mental health issues? Is there any kind of addiction in homelessness issues? Do you see a correlation there? Yeah, I mean, we certainly have a large number of homeless that have mental illness and addictions. Um, certainly not everybody. I think the, the kind of the 
common thought is, you know, if you're in the streets, if you're homeless, you're addicted, you're, you're mentally ill, um, we see that that's not true. You know, there are those individuals that we cannot assist through PATH because they don't meet our criteria for enrollment. So we try to refer them to Citizens Concern for the Homeless or Keys to Hope or Lisa or, you know, if we can't provide that case management, but they're homeless, you know, we try to link them with somebody that can. Um, but, you know, we do have, you know, we had a hundred people who were literally homeless, you know, at some point last year with a mental health illness. Um, most of them, uh, I'll say most of them are, are, um, mental illness and substance abuse. Okay. So. Both. Both. Okay. Yeah. We can't serve somebody with substance abuse only. Okay. They have to have a, a serious mental illness as well. But oftentimes those two things accompany each other. Yeah. Is that your experience too, Lisa? Yeah, I I agree with Ed on that. The one thing I do want to say about the home team is without the home team, my office would not be doing what it's doing because me getting to the home team and meeting everybody and learning about all the different organizations and the people that are involved, that's what's been able to help my clients. I wouldn't be able to house part of my clients um, if it wasn't for Melissa and Ed coming to my office on Fridays. So the home team is a very vital, important part of this community, and more people need to understand what they're doing, and more trustees need to be involved and learn what they do. Are you calling people out right now, I am Lisa? right now. I am. <laughs> you know me. I yeah, do. I uh, and, and I got to tell you, uh, from our experience, Jason and I, and I'm sure many other people, we are very, we're all very busy um, doing the things that we, our organizations are trying to fix and trying to manage and trying to do. It's so helpful having organizations that Jason, if somebody, Jason meets someone who's homeless, we don't always have the capacity to find, figure that out, but we know who does, you know, we know, okay, let's, let's get them over to Lisa or let's get them, let's call Ed real quick and see what Ed knows or see par- partially too, because have you met this person, you know, um, because maybe you have. And that's a big part of the factor because Jason will call and say, I'm sending somebody, I'll give me a name and I'll like, okay, they're already in our system. We're already working with them. They're not doing what they need to be doing, but I'll reach out to them again and see what we can do. And same thing with, with Ed and Melissa, you know, with them being there on Friday, I'll say, okay, I got so-and-so coming in. Yep. They're already in our system where we're, you know, so that's the one thing nice about working with all the organizations because we, we get to know the names and we know who actually needs the help, who actually really wants the help, or who's just using the system. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just don't know if everyone realizes how much collaboration there are between, especially not every agency. There, there are some islands out there, but I think many of us really try to work hard at collaborating to say, let's do the most good for the most amount of people. And, you know, Ed's going to do this piece of this pie. Lisa's going to do this. The PAC Center's going to, we're going to do as much as we can together um, because it, it, that's how we help. And that's what's great about this team is we've had outside speakers and guests come in and they are floored by how everyone in our county gets along, talks with each, with each other and helps one another so much. And the other thing is we're not nine to four. We are 24 seven, 365 days of the year. I, over the weekend, I can call Melissa and Ed for help. They can call me. Jason can call me late at night or early in the morning at the hospital. You know, this team is not one of the teams that's working nine to four. So Let's talk a little bit about, because I know this is a topic, and it's going to be a topic in the upcoming mayoral race. I know slumlords, uh, sufficient housing, these kind of things. Because it's one thing for someone 
uh, to place someone in housing. But the questions I have is, is there enough housing? Do I mean? Yes. Okay. And is the housing we have sufficient? No. What, 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 what are you seeing, Lisa? Because I know you try to really place people. I mean, because like you said, Ed, you, you, there's not always apartment complexes. You have to go privately. You have to contact somebody that has. Well, we were when we started talking about the home team, I was kind of getting yeah. into the affordable housing conversation Sorry, yep, yep. that we're having right now. And I think there's this misconception that we have a lot of affordable housing in, in LaPorte County. And there is a lot of apartments that are subsidized in some way. You know, we have complexes with subsidies. We have Section 8 vouchers, a lot of that. But what we see is that somebody on SSI at $750 a month aren't able to meet the income requirements to get into those. They they cannot make that subsidized rent. So we need um, housing that is affordable, not just affordable housing. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, we're looking at more like, can we partner uh, people, do co-housing, separate, separate leases, you know, roommate situations? Um, we're, we're beginning to look at how can we use the resources that we have better, um, but we don't have enough affordable housing. Jason, what do you see there? Cause I know sometimes people come in and obviously they approach all of us with, you know, uh, high NIPSCO bills or something like that. And I know you've checked on people and seen some of the housing situations. I know you have Lisa as well, and there's holes in the roof. There's, you know, in our community here, again, State Street specifically planted in one of the poor communities in the in the port because we wanted to be here. But I can tell you, I can watch, I can see what people are watching on TV through holes in their walls sometimes, you know. So what do you see there? Absolutely. It's it's the, the condition of the homes, right? We'll have somebody that comes in and has a, an 800 to to $1,000 NIPSCO bill. And I'm I'm just floored by that. I'm like, are you living in a ten thousand square foot home? Uh, no, they're not. It's just in very bad repair. Um, and so then, what do they do? Their their NIPSCO bill is higher than their rent. Um, so then that becomes an issue. And as far as the number of housing, my wife used to work for a, a HUD group that subsidized, and it's a two year wait. It's a two year wait to get into some of the places. And single mom with the kids that is now down to a part time income, maybe. Um, can't wait two years and there's just not these things available, but really it's condition of the homes and a lot of landlords not doing repairs where somebody could stay in their budget until they get a $600 NIPSCO bill. So Lisa, what do you think about that? Do you think it just need more enforcement or do we need, what, what do you think as a governmental entity there? Like, Definitely you- more code enforcement. Um, we have a lot of landlords that aren't taking care of the properties we have a lot of landlords that currently have properties that are in the tax tax sale. So if they're not sold, the landlord's still taking care of them, but they're not doing what needs to be done. Like Jason said, you know, when they're coming in with these large NIPSCO bills, we're going out there and, and, you know, checking to see what's going on. And it'll be no insulation, which there's not a lot you can do, but windows with cracks in them, windows that aren't sealed, um, holes, holes in the walls, holes in the, the roofs. And then sometimes other, otherwise the large NIPSCO bills is because they've got so many different heaters going because they're trying to stay warm, which that's a safety issue then on top running of their stove right? and running their stove. Yeah. So then it becomes a safety issue on top of that. We can call it code enforcement all day long. And some landlords have just been able to worm their way to where code enforcement's not going there anymore. So how do you fix that? 
what do you do? But there again, how do we get more affordable housing? How do we get the county home? How do we help these clients that are in need? You know, there's there's got to be something that has to break. There's got to be something that, that a change needs to be made. You know, we can keep counting and counting and counting. That's wonderful. We got a number, but are we doing anything about that number? You know, we can only do so much ourselves. It's going to come upon other people helping to get more housing, more affordable housing, or making these landlords fix up their places. Uh, since you brought it up, the county home, let's dig into that. Um, you, I know the both of you were kind of involved in some kind of potential you know, acquisition or just use of the county home, a plan for it potentially with, I think, housing opportunities and seeing if we can't use that for emergency shelter or for permanent housing for those who are homeless. Lots of ideas. How is that? Where are we at on that? What happened? Housing opportunities is interested in it. Um, if the feasibility study comes back and, and shows that it's, you know, that they can use it and, and that it would be appropriate. Um, so right now we're we're still looking for some funding to get that feasibility study completed, um, roughly a hundred thousand um, dollars. With that being said, I'm not sure where the county stands still. I mean, they had offered us, you know, uh, how long did they give to look at it? Um, Thirty to sixty days. And I guess our time was up, and they decided they're going to sell it to somebody else. But okay, so the county has made a decision to sell it to someone else. Well, that is what was told to us at the meeting. Now it has to go up to where the county is going to have to legally do what they need to do in order to sell it to somebody else. But my biggest issue was when we first started this, not with housing opportunities, but with Homeward Bound, when we had looked at it, we wanted the county home and some acreage. And we were told absolutely positively not. You can have the county home in five acres. Now all of a sudden it's the county home in 100 acres. So things have changed, but that's, you know, that's government. And we're just kind of waiting back to see what's going to happen. If it gets sold, it gets sold. If it doesn't, then hopefully housing opportunities will have a second chance to go after it. Because I really feel that it needs to go back to the people. It was built for the poppers. I think it needs to go back to what it was. Um, I don't see it being used for anything else. I've heard rumors about things, and I'm not going to say, but... I really feel that what is going on in our community, in our county, and we all see the homelessness or the imminent risk, I think we need to be opening the county home back up to help solve part of that. And I think our county needs to be doing that. I don't think it should just be the trustees. I don't think it should be housing opportunity. I think the county home was shut too early. I think it was mismanaged. And I just feel like it needs to be reopened for the community. So. I've also heard rumors of uh, a tiny house village. I know, Lisa, you've done a lot of research and lots. Of, is there anything going on with that? Well, that's what Homeward Bound is working on. Uh, they've had a vision of creating a tiny house village to, to create affordable housing for the homeless. Um, two different organizations have offered to donate land. Um, unfortunately, that land has come back two times and you know, we couldn't use it. Um, so right now, uh, we're back to the drawing board. We all, Homeward Bound is looking for some land. Uh, How many Mich acres do you really need? 
Well, that's a that's a good debate. What our last the last land that we were looking at was twenty acres. Um, ten of that was usable, and I think you know between the the garden, the community garden that they wanted to put on there, the community Yay. center, um, and the houses, you know, it would support. What was the number fifty? The, the ten acres 10 was acres going to be was sufficient like 50, enough for us. Fifty something. Uh, houses on that, which you know, when you look at the point in time count, you know that would be a, an appropriate number. Um, and that was on the outside of Michigan City. We've looked at land kind of in between Michigan City and Laporte, uh, which would be uh, great. Um, I personally think that it would be nice to split it up and do a smaller one in Michigan City and a smaller one in Laporte, so that we could serve both communities. But I mean. We're there's a lot that goes into building a community and uh, 50 houses or you know, however many units. Um, so we're really just looking for some land that's appropriate. We we don't want to displace people, we don't want to stick them out in the middle of nowhere. You know, if, if it's in between the two cities, it has to be on the transit triangle so that they can get to both cities and access the resources within them. But, um, right now, homeward bound, you know, we've we've learned some lessons. Um, zoning you know how to go about that uh what we need to look at in the property uh so we're back to square one looking for an appropriate piece of land are you guys frustrated extremely because i'm going to go back to the county home it's sitting there each day i see it just falling apart even more and it's just very frustrating to know what is going on and if the county government came to some of our meetings or sat and listened to some of the things we had to say or listened to the statistics and they really cared about their community, I would see the county home being reopened. But I just, I, I, I'm frustration. It's, it's frustration. Cause go ahead. I want to say motivated, you know, it, it is frustrating what we go through, but you know, I think it, it makes us all kind of dig down deeper and, and work harder to, to get what we need and what we know that the community needs and what the, the homeless need. And, and nonprofits are probably like no, no different than, um, regular organizations. And, you know, things don't happen oftentimes naturally. You have to grind for it. You have to work hard to get, make something happen. There's almost always multiple stakeholders in any project not only you have your partners in working with you know home team and homeward bound and all these things but then you have your multiple funding agents you have then this weird stakeholder which is the public the community that you also have to figure out how to make all of this work and and, it, and i will say for us it, it can be frustrating because um you're you're trying you see a need that needs to be met and you're trying to meet that need to help the people that live and work and, and, you know, in this community. And obviously, nothing should be handed to us. Nothing should be given to us. But you, you want more. It, it, it could just be frustrating when there's so many hurdles, you know. And I will say one of the, the major issues that you hear all the time from people is not in my backyard, which I totally understand. The other thing is, everybody's saying if you open up a uh, homeless shelter, everybody, or homeless community or whatever, everybody's going to come in. Well, there's a way of stopping that, like the other communities that do it currently right now, the zip codes. You have to live in 46350 or 46360. If you're not living in those zip codes, then this shelter's not for you. This this um, homeless shelter, you know, 
tiny village or whatever is not for you. Case management fixes that. Exactly. So there's ways around it, but you know, people are saying, you know, everybody's going to come, everybody's going to come. Well, there's a way of managing that. Uh, Jason, I want to come back to you a little bit. Um, as we're talking about redevelopment projects, uh, obviously, uh, we've got a redeveloped garden, which was a former uh, parking lot over on Jackson and Jefferson. Uh, how's that going? How's the uh, Jackson Street uh, Community Garden going? As with anything, it was a struggle at first to get the garden going, but um, once it took off, it's almost managing itself at this point. Um, we have some great volunteers that work very hard to make it happen, um, but the community has really stepped in, and um, we would have to really search for people to come to the garden and uh, to, to get a plot or whatever, and now there's waiting lists and people excited about being there and um, use it as a park as well. Um, we have 50 boxes. Uh, that I think it was a week and a half before everybody registered to have one, and then we had a waiting list, and then 40 kids uh, come there every every Tuesday through the summer and, and garden um, in our share table. Um, there are truckloads of corn that was being dropped off and distributed through the community, uh, so it's just going gangbusters. Um, and plus, it's a beautiful spot for the city right there as well. You, we did get, and I don't know if you can share these stories, because I, I, I know uh, our garden director, uh, John Slater, often communicates them to us. He's there often, but um, can you communicate some of the stories? We did get some pushback from some of our neighbors, even, that were there. Not sure what we were doing, not sure, um, but they're some of our biggest fans now, right? Yeah, they would they'd kind of come out and yell at us, this is this is crazy, what are you doing? And there's people here all the time now, or... Um, this is never going to work, those kind of negativity things. And now, hey, what can I do to help? Or they watch the garden for us. Um, we'll get calls or emails all the time. Hey, somebody's letting their dog poop in the garden. Or lousy uh, dog poopers. You're killing me, dog poopers. Or, you know, just uh, any kind of, we, we really don't have vandalism there at all because the neighbors have really embraced that section of, of town and that garden and just really watch out for us. Yeah, it, it's been amazing to see. And like I said, it took a season, maybe even a season and a half or two. Um, I, I know John was telling me a story about one of the neighbors who was one of the more, um, the, 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 one of the bigger detractors, didn't seem to really enjoy us being there. And he ended up selling his house and uh, came to thank us for what he perceived as us making his house more valuable because he said, I'm just so grateful that you guys came in here. This is such a better neighborhood now. And these are community re redevelopment projects we all are concerned about. Obviously, we have Jackson Street, but you guys are all working on these kind of things, too. And, and that um, this is the work, and it's a lot of hurdles. It's a lot of, um, a lot of no's before you get a yes. <laughs> um, but when those things align and when they come together, beautiful things can get done. And obviously on this project, it wasn't us alone. We've had lots of collaboration. And now we're doing it over at Brighton Street. Um, you want to give an update on that? Or you want me to give it? Or um, So we're, we're almost there as far as the building go. The acre and a half lot has, uh, the old dairy has been torn down. Um, our our uh, ERC area is, uh, I would say, just not very long. By the end of the year, it should be done. ERC is Education Resource Center. Just No, it's okay. Um, yeah, yeah, acronyms. Yeah, we love our acronyms. Uh, uh, it, it, it should be, theoretically, <laughs> uh, we've learned not to 
hold to any construction timeline too tightly. But yes, it's it's coming to an end here. Right, and we noticed shingles going on the other day on the outside, so it's really coming along. And this space, uh, Jackson Street is great. This will be five times better just because of the space and the things we can do. We can have an orchard here. We can have a, a bog and just the education component because um, we find, okay, I, I'm growing great fresh vegetables for free, but now what do I do with it? How do I cook a zucchini? I don't know. Um, those types of things we can Some offer. Collaboration with Lisa with exactly. Crock-Pot stuff. And, you know. and so it's a space we can teach these things. Well, I, I don't even know how to get a, a plant going from seed. Again, the education portion is going to be invaluable in that, in that area. Um, and just being able to offer so we don't have a waiting list. We can cover everyone getting a box um, in, in, in our, our areas where we're sharing with everyone and, and just anybody can come pick those type of things, the UPIC area. Um, so it, it's coming along, and I, I can't wait till spring till we really start digging in the dirt a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's definitely our most ambitious uh, project, yeah, but it, it, it's, and it's, I've got a lot more gray through the process, but it's, it's been worth it. So, um, all of you guys have been in doing this work for quite some time now. Lisa, you just won a re-election. We'll go around. Each person can answer this. I'll start with you, Ed. How has your worldview changed since doing the work that you do? What, what has kind of changed in you um, and how you look at the world since you've, you've started doing this work with Pat? I think, you know, I... It really opened my eyes to homelessness. You know, I I spend a lot of time in Chicago, and I see the homeless, you know, in downtown Chicago sitting in the streets, but I didn't realize how many were in our communities so close to our houses and how fragile a lot of people really are. You know, when you start getting to know them, saying hello and shaking their hand and sitting down with them, seeing what's going on, um, that you, you don't realize, like, how close it a lot of Americans are to being homeless, you know, and I was just as guilty as everyone else, you know, prior to getting involved with this work, um, you know, I would, I would see a homeless and, you know, I, would, I wasn't going to walk up and how are you doing today? You know, what's, what's going on? Um, now it's like second nature. I was chatting with some, uh, with a guy at Starbucks uh, last night that I met, you know, the day before and um, he's going in and having a cup of coffee and getting warm and, you know, uh, getting to know him, you know, so I, I see, I see the bag and I walk up and say hello, you know, and, and so much of that is just being human, being kind, you know, greeting them, seeing, seeing what's going on with what help they need. How are you, Lisa? Well, I have been active with homelessness probably, probably most of my life. It's been a passion of mine. So becoming trustee gave me more of an opportunity to help more, more people. Um, but through my eyes, it's been through Swanson Path Program, um, going out with Ed and, and finding out how to find them that are, you know, hiding from us or what to look for. They've been homeless for a while or they've not been homeless for a while. But like Ed said, humanity, um, talking with, with people one-on-one, -on -one, not looking at them as somebody different than myself. You know, everybody is the same. They might be just going through something hard. Educating people. That's probably been a big thing is educating people um, on what to look for, how to talk with them, how to help them rather than the blinders. So I think that's been, you know, educating people has been a big difference. 
and working with so many different agencies has been wonderful. Uh, for someone, uh, I, I grew up poor, and I can remember as a child uh, sleeping in a basement of a relative with our, our family, and there being two inches of water on the ground, and I'm having to pull up my pajamas and walk through the water to get to my bed. Um, I can remember a, a teenager living on the west side of Michigan City after my parents got divorced um, and having to save my pennies so that I could walk down to the Ninth Street store and get bread and macaroni and cheese. And that point, and I remember walking in the snow to do that, I said to myself, I am never going to be like this. I'm going to do everything I can to not be in this situation. Um, and so working hard and trying to not ever be in that situation again, and then coming and not wanting to be involved with those people anymore, those people, um, and then come to the realization of, you've had so much help. You had people surrounding you, getting you through that point in your life as, as a teenager or um, your parents helping you get through. I want to be that person that can help others do the same thing, run alongside of them. So um, instead of never being like those people, distancing myself, it's let's run, we're all the same, right? Um, and not everyone has the opportunity to have somebody stand beside them and help them take their next step. Um, and so that's how, kind of how my point or view have changed is we all need to be that person standing next to somebody, helping them take their next step. You know, we talk often here at Stage Street that one of the best ways you can approach someone in your head is the image of God in me greets the image of God in you because we've all been created in this image of God, you know. Um, and when you start marginalizing or making someone less than just because of their life circumstance or because of even decisions they've made, even if they're poor decisions, you've dehumanized them. And when you dehumanize a person, you then rob them of uh, what I think is an intrinsic right to value. And so um, it's one of the things that we always have to combat because it also can be exhausting work and, and it is hard. Um, it's easy to give someone a dollar as you walk by. It's hard to help. <laughs> um, so um, let's talk a little bit. We've got a couple minutes uh, because we talked about this before we started rolling here. Transportation issues. A lot of people in poverty, um, low income, uh, hunger, homeless, um, have transportation issues. It's a real problem. We obviously have uh, the Transit Triangle here in LaPorte County. I don't know. Do, do we have Transpo still or no? Is that still going? We have Transport here in LaPorte. Yeah. And I don't know what Michigan City has. They have the Michigan City bus. What is the... What is the state of public transportation in the county and where does it need to go as someone, as a group of people that work with low-income people every day? What are you hearing? What do you think would help? You know, um, is it sufficient or is it not? It didn't used to be sufficient. It still could have some work. But I will say the transit triangle, now that goes back and forth to LaPorte and Michigan City, I no longer have to help a client pay for that bus, go to the Marquette Mall, catch another bus, catch another bus, and so on. It is now one cost. So if they get on the transit triangle in LaPorte 
and go to Michigan City, they can transfer to another bus without paying another dollar. Well, I, don't, or I, I actually didn't know that. That that's is great. just new. That just started in November. Yeah, we didn't so know that. So that's the one thing that's new. But I'm still frustrated that we can't get the buses to stop at the places they need to stop, which is the Social Security office, the food stamp office, the outlet mall, or the library by the outlet mall, which would put them in the area of, number one, the outlet mall, number two, the shelters, um, and stuff like that. So it still needs some work. So where would you, let's just throw some ideas up, where would you put some stops at? The, the, the library, um, the, the food library? stamp office, and Where's the, the Social stamp? Security Where's office. The food stamp office is 20 in Woodland. Yeah. So. I, I think that some of that, you know, November 1st, the, the ticket thing, you know, working with the Transit Triangle and Michigan City bus, you know, that certainly helps out. Is that true in LaPorte too, Lisa, or no? Can you take in, La in, in LaPorte? LaPorte transport or no? No, the transport okay. you, which is frustrating for us because we have to pay somebody's ticket for them to come to our office and meet with us and then pay another ticket for them to go back home. So actually I'm working on some other things to um, work on that with some of our clients. But that, yeah, it's, it's two tickets for LaPorte. Yeah, but I, I, I think, you know, it, it's, it's not convenient to have to make the transfer from the Transit Triangle to the Michigan City bus, but it is doable, which, you know, before it wasn't, you know, they had to buy that second ticket. Um, so that's improved. Um, the biggest need that I see is that the the times don't really work for a lot of our homeless clients that uh, the city of Laporte doesn't have a homeless shelter. Um, you know, they're, they're all located in Michigan City. Um, we have some people that are working here in Laporte. You know, those those buses don't run at the right times to get them from the shelters to to work so what time what times are those good times you think what time does it need to be uh well the the emergency shelter in michigan city opens at 6 p.m and lets out at 7 a.m um when's the last bus from little park in michigan city i'm not positive but i think they just changed it but i want to say it was right around four i was gonna oh, say okay. it's either four or five but what we're having problems with is somebody working three to eleven here in Laporte, and they get off work at 11, they can't take a bus back to Michigan City. So what do they do from 11 p.m. till 6 a.m.? They have to go sit at the county jail uh, building right now to stay warm, because that's the only warming place that's open 24-7. But it'd be nice if they could get back to Michigan City and they could actually sleep for a few hours. So that's that's the problem. We have nothing in Laporte. So they for those sit. that work second shift. Or, exactly. Yeah, the the last check in at the emergency shelters is eight thirty, unless they're registered and they turn their work schedule in ahead of time to sure. let them come. If in they're late. we can coordinate these things though, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh yeah, we could get them back into the shelter. That's no problem. And I know Tom Dermody with We Connect. That's something we've been talking about too. Is you know if there was a way of maybe getting a small minibus or something for the factories here, you know, for that shift that we were able to take people back to Michigan City for the shelters, if that was the case. Or find more affordable housing here in LaPorte to where they could be living here and working here. But still, it's the same thing, right? Transport does a good job getting people where they need to be, but there's no time to that. We will pick you up after with these three people. And if you have to be to work at, at 830 and you call, they could be picking you up right at 830 
makes you late, then what happens? You get a ding at work. And that's your point system. And right. then after so many, then you lose your job and then right. you're homeless. Mm-hmm. Right. Or you were already homeless and now you have no job to help you get the money to get into housing. Exactly. It's a and, vicious circle. And then the outlying factories. We have a lot of factories kind of on that edge where transport won't go or a bus doesn't go. Um, and then again, back to shift work. Transport stops at 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 5 o'clock. So anyone getting off at 7, uh, even 7, it's, it just doesn't work. What You guys are all very involved in, in working to make LaPorte County better, especially for low income and those who are struggling across the demographics. What do you think about the future of LaPorte County that people aren't talking enough about that you would wish that they would talk more about? Is it the homeless problem? Is it what? What are you thinking there? Is there something about the future? Let's even say next ten years or or fifteen years that you can see on the horizon that you want to make sure that people are thinking about. I have one. Oh, go I, ahead. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I want to. I want to hear yours now. Well, for for, for me, it, it it it's it is affordable housing. Um, it, it it's affordable housing that. Um, and, and again, our impulse is to compete with housing to say, if a good housing is coming in here, then that comes at the cost of affordable housing. And I don't think the two of them have to be the opposite. I think we ought to have nice new apartments like they're going to build over here in Laporte. That's fine. But we ought to also have affordable housing, more affordable housing. And um, I'm I'm worried that we're not that there's not enough um, focus on these issues because it does have a huge deal with low income poverty and all of these kind of things. Housing is such a crisis um, that impacts everything else. So um, that's that's I, I just don't I don't hear enough about the solutions for that coming up. And I will say, going around to the different homeless communities that I've been going to and talking with residents, um, being in Austin, Texas for the week and living the, as the, a homeless the person. Tiny house the tiny house community. Sorry, the tiny house community, mm-hmm. you're correct. Um, you know, talking with them, it all goes back to affordable housing. But if they don't have housing, then they're turning to drugs. Or if they um, don't have housing, they're turning to stealing and robbing, you know, stuff like that. So to me, and I keep saying this all along, I think it's all something that works together. You have the homelessness, you have the addiction, you have the mental illness, you have the... um, the robber, you know, the the criminal. I think it all works together. And I think if we can fight the homelessness, I think you're going to see a lot of that go away. I really, I, I really truly feel that way after talking with so many people to find out why they are where they are now, what, what has happened. Now, of course, you are going to have some homeless people that because of a loss of a job or cancer or, you know, something like that, but just talking with many people, I, I just it's a vicious circle. And I really feel the affordable housing and, and housing period, I think, is going to eliminate a lot of the problems in our world. Yeah, I, w- I would really like to see people talking more about affordable housing and, and looking at what the home team's doing and looking at what Homeward Bound is trying to do. And 
really being open-minded to the thought of having a, a, a tiny house village come in and create affordable housing that's appropriate scale to the clients that we're working with um, to help them get back on their feet. Um, there's so much research behind the, the housing first model that shows, you know, people aren't going to address their mental illness uh, effectively. They're not going to address their substance abuse effectively. Um, they're, you know, while they're homeless, they need to be housed. You won't hold a job if you don't have a home. It's just, it's just the reality. That's the research, right? Well, I, I, do I mean, it's, it's I harder. Do see, I it's, say. It's, it's a harder, lot harder because you know, yeah. we have, and that's such a misconception. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. so many people that stay at the emergency shelters that, you know, wake up and go to work. Yep. Um, they're just not making enough to, to afford housing yet. Yep. Um, but you know, that, that housing first model is, you know, once you put a roof over their head and you give them a safe place to sleep, then, then you wrap the other services around sure. and you provide that mental health, uh, counseling and that, that substance abuse counseling and that employment training and, and preparation that then it really takes hold and they can do something about improving their situation. Um, and that's what, you know, we're looking at doing and, and just, you know, I, I want the community to be aware of it and, uh, to hear the home team message and to kind of support what we're trying to do and to know that we're not trying to, uh, you know, build a little shanty village to, to bring down the property values. You know, we're trying to, to really improve the community. Jason? Same, same thing. I'll, I'll back up what they're saying. And it's, and it's not a thing that we came up with, oh, let's do this. It's a discussion that this group has been having for years, um, and it's nothing they take lightly, and it's nothing they're not researching or we're not researching and really pouring a lot of effort into it. Um, and as many people that are on the home team and working on it, that message still isn't out there, which that's what we need to be talking about. One last question, and then we'll, we'll get into what brings you hope. But um, is there what quote or saying or axiom that you hear out in the community, whether it's on the Facebook or the, the Twitters, or it's in your office, or you're out there talking to people that you think is just complete and utter trash. It's not real. It's not, it's just, it's this thing that people have bought into that's not real to the people that you're helping. Um, as we know, we combat, one of the things that we, Lisa, you've talked about is educating people about what the face of poverty and low-income people are facing because there is this misunderstanding about that what is the one or one or two that really kind of irks you that you hear that you would really like to address to everyone that's watching people just don't want to work some people can't work some people can't get the job but then again some people have that addiction that hold them from the job so i don't think that's true that Nobody wants to work. I just, I, I think that's false. I, I second that. Um, I actually got a phone call from a church in Michigan City uh, last week. They had, they found some bags uh, outside their property. Um, they wanted to leave them alone, but there was an infestation. There was a lot of food in there, and there were ants crawling all over. So they, they called me and they said, "Hey, do you know who this is? Can you help us clean this up?" And so I went there, and I looked at those bags. And there was a lot of food and a lot of things that just needed to go. I was looking for some sort of identification so I knew who it went to. I, I didn't want to throw in away birth certificates or social security cards or anything like that. And as I'm looking through the bag, I find a, a envelope with a, with a list of pharmacy tech positions and 
um, just different places that are hiring. You know, obviously they're writing down their list of of places that they want to go and apply for for a job. Um, and then you know, next to that was their Bible. You know, and you know that's what we're what we're looking at. So, you know, somebody that fell on hard times that's looking for a for a job. You know, and and trying to get by. You know, and it, they're not lazy. They're just looking for that step up. Right. It's that that concept or that thought that they're just lazy. They don't want to better themselves. Um, a, a bunch of us took, I think it was a year, maybe two now, uh, a day in poverty class or event that the United Way put on. Um, and I, I got to experience that. And to, it helped me really understand the hurdles that something simple as you not having ID or not having a birth certificate, the hurdles and the things you have to go through in order to get a job. If, if you're very transient and you're having to move from place to place, if you're homeless and your things are getting lost, to recoup all of that stuff it is just extremely difficult. I found myself extremely frustrated in the person that I was for this event. Um, and they even included like people saying, "Hey, I can help you with that. If you know, I buy that ring for ten dollars, that'll help you get some money. Or um, do you want to buy drugs? Or um, you know, let me have your kid. Or you know, those types of things. And the frustration. I mean, it would break anybody um, to have to go through all the tiny little steps um, just to get a, an ID um, or those types of things. As a matter of fact, Lisa was." one of the people I had to go to and she wasn't very nice <laughs> and uh, you know, telling me I need to do this and I need to do that. And you go to the next stage um, and, and it was difficult to get that next step. So that's a big misconception that, you know, they're just, they don't want to do certain steps or do certain things. There are so many hurdles sometimes, or again, if they don't have somebody walking alongside of them, it becomes very difficult. And it's as simple as I think the lesson that many of us learned as a child, I know my mother taught us this, you don't know what has brought someone to this point. Uh, you cannot judge a book by its cover. If you see someone and you say, well, they look fine, you don't know what's underneath the surface. You don't know um, if they're dealing with some mental or emotional instability. You don't know, you know uh, what addictions they may have. It, just because they look like, well, they should be fine, doesn't mean that they are. And so, and we've had all of these cases, uh, complicated cases of people coming in that um, they just don't fit textbook kind of, well, this is what, you know, a person in poverty A looks like. No, it's, it's, it's very complicated. Um, and in a community that, again, we rely on each other, but I would say there's a lot of kind of um, there's a lack of resources in many ways for a lot of these things. We're all kind of stretched thin. Um, that we do, um, it, it's hard to help everyone. It's hard to do this, but you have to meet everyone where they're at and help them as best as you can. And so, when you judge them and dehumanize them as they come in before you've even met them, it doesn't help them. So. Uh, I 100% agree with you guys. That was really good uh, feedback there. Another one that I, is always a passion of mine is that, because I, I hear this often, SNAP fraud is common. And actually, uh, SNAP, which is your food stamps, fraud is not common at all. Actually, I think it's the, one of the most uh, effective governmental programs that they have. I think the rate is only 
96.9%, everything goes well. I think there's maybe like a 3.1% of fraud, which is very, very minimal when you consider um, how big Snap is and things like that. So we'll end with this. Um, Jason, we'll start with you and then we'll go around. Um, what brings you hope? What brings me hope is, um, again, for here, specifically in LaPorte County, are the home team groups and um, how we work so closely together. I, I know we're going to make an impact. We are making an impact. Um, in just the short time I've been doing this, I've seen huge changes um, in LaPorte County as far as the help that is in, available. Um, so that brings me hope that, that there is a finish line. I, I think it, it will get better. It can get better. And uh, I, I think we can take that percentage way down of those who are uh, food insecure, and I can take we can take that percentage down uh, to where uh, those who are homeless. Uh, and then with those two things, I think then the poverty the poverty level then will also change. Um, so that brings me hope in, in this in this county. And what brings me hope, as well as you know, churches like State Street, and I don't just say this because I, I work here. Um, I pay you to say that. This is true. Um, <laughs> however, uh, I would say it anyway, is uh, churches like this, and, and I'm going to say finally, uh, a lot of uh, churches are involved in different things, but really stepping up to the plate and saying, we want to make change in our community. We want to love those in our community. Um, I, I see slowly more and more churches getting involved, and, and I'm excited that um, we have all the shelters, uh, which are primarily at churches in Michigan City, uh, that have stepped up. And now we have men's and women's and those types of things. Um, so that brings me hope, too. Lise? Basically the same thing. It's the community effort of working together. That's what brings me hope. But, again, the church is starting to step up to the plate. Um, I don't feel that we've had as many churches step up to the plate like State Street. And I know in the last couple of months, talking with some of the other churches and finally getting the questions asked, you know, what more can we do? And some other agencies pulling the churches together to start working more as a combative effort rather than each church working individually. I, I feel like the churches need to come together and work more. And, and I think State Street... It's probably the one that everybody looks at all the time and says, look what they're doing. Why are we not doing that? And I'm, I'm seeing that happen. So it gives me hope to see more um, people working together in our community to make it better because they see what's going on and they want to make it better. Yeah, because you don't have to do, you know, we, we do a lot of stage three. We do a lot of the PAC Center. You don't have to do all that, right? And it, when everyone does their little piece of the pie, um, whether you're a small church or a big church, uh, so much can get done, right? Exactly. You know, you have Bethany Lutheran that does the different concerts and helps out with some of the different agencies. Um, I've been working with Bethany Lutheran on a couple of things for emergency shelters here. I see my church, First Church of God, working more on doing food drives and, and pantries and bringing the mobile pantry. The and yeah, they work at the PAC Center. So I see, and they work at the Salvation Army. So I'm seeing more of the churches do that, and I, I hope to see more follow along. I know there's a new um, youth pa or a new pastor at one of the churches here in Laporte that um, came to my office uh, about three weeks ago, and is looking forward to working with the community. And was asking, and it was kind of funny. He said, "I was told to come and talk to you that you would point me in the right direction." So I'm like, "Okay, I don't know if my shoes are that big, but I'll do like the best I possibly the North can." Star, so. Yeah. <laughs> 
so I that's my hope is is more churches working together and the community working together. Edward, what brings you hope? Having this conversation here, I think, really brings me hope to, to know that there's churches and people in the community that are really interested in knowing, you know, what can we do to make make things better. Um, we also, you know, over the summer had the opportunity to talk to some state leaders about what we're doing in Laporte County. You know, um, Jacob Seip, the um, executive director for IHCDA, uh, which is the Indiana Housing Community Development Authority, and uh, the lieutenant governor. We had the opportunity to speak to both of them, and they were really impressed with what we're doing in, in Laporte County. And, you know, I don't think that there's a lot of counties, certainly some, but not a lot of counties that are really as active as we are in trying to, to work the plan in homelessness. And that gives me a lot of hope. Yeah. All of you guys, uh, give me hope as well. Um, I want to thank you guys for being here. Thank you so much for this conversation. If you want to know more, I encourage you to, uh, look, uh, the PAC center up on Facebook. Look, uh, I think the center township trustee is up on Facebook as well, right? It's under Lisa Pierzakowski. Lisa Pierzakowski. Can people friend you then? Or? Friend me. You can look at my Facebook. Um, on my Facebook page also is the Center Township Resource Center Food Pantry. We post things uh, quite frequently in there. What about the home team, if they want to know about home team? The home team of LaPorte County is on Facebook. We're revamping our Facebook page. Um, and they can also email hometeamlp at gmail.com. Okay, great. So if you want to know more about that or if you'd like to be a part of this cause or if you'd like to support them, uh, do look uh, the PAC Center and the Center Township Trustees uh, Office and uh, the home team up and be a part of the solution in whatever way that you can. Uh, I want to thank our team for pulling this off today. I, we've got a really busy uh, couple months here at State Street. We've got our Thanksgiving meal, our, our Thanksgiving Eve meal next Wednesday. Uh, and of course, uh, we've got Advent in December. So lots of stuff going on here, yet we're still able to do this. I want to thank Joel Crane for making the flourless chocolate cake. It was delicious. Thank you to uh, Grace Crane for recording all of this. Um, and thank you to Pastor Becky Crane. It's like the Crane train is making this all happen uh, for uh, doing all of our tech work on this. And thank you to Kelly Tanger for content development and stuff like that. So. Uh, thanks so much for watching, and I hope you tune in next month. We'll do another discussion over dessert, and then in January, we'll be live again here at State Street uh, for a discussion over dinner. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks for watching.